The opinions expressed on the Rob Report are the opinions of the hosts, participating callers, and or listener emails, texts, and letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Forum Communications. Afternoon, report 970 WDAYM 93.1 FM, guiding you into your Friday afternoon. Happy to be with you, Ben. How's it going this Friday? Going good, Rob. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Big plans for the weekend, my friend? Uh, nope, not yet. You? No, not, not really. Kids and I will probably get up to something. Okay. Um, uh, watch baseball. That's a big thing. That'll hey, uh, I was just—I was actually just reading before we came on air. This is kind of interesting. Um, we had this week the folks behind uh, a ballot measure to create an ethics commission in North Dakota. Um, they just turned their signatures in this week, right? Yep. Now, this group has um, – they have been touting themselves as uh, – they've, they've, they've been touting themselves as this um, you know, bipartisan group, right? We're, we're bipartisan. This is a bipartisan effort for transparency and ethics. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's a uh, it's it's a front group for national left wing groups, and it's kind of interesting because uh, the North Dakota Democratic Party just announced that the former Missouri Secretary of State is going to be visiting Fargo next month uh, for a fundraiser for the North Dakota Democratic Party. From Missouri is coming to Fargo. Yeah, he's, huh. he, well, he's, he's not even the current. He's, he's okay. the former Missouri Secretary of State. But he also, he's also the president of a group called Let America Vote. Okay. Uh, a group that is also uh, bankrolling a, the Ethics Commission ballot measure, the supposedly bipartisan Ethics Commission ballot okay. measure. Okay. So, I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's funny to me that a group of people, the, the name of the local group, is called, uh, I think it's it's North Dakotans for Public Integrity. And, I mean, that's sort of what they're campaigning on, is they're saying, oh, um, you know, they're saying, oh, let's, let's um, you know, let's let's go out and, and let's, you know, we want to we wanna promote, uh, it, uh, you know, integrity and everything else. Um, you know, the problem is, uh, I, I don't know that they have a lot of integrity. Honestly, well, right, because the idea of an ethics commission doesn't sound like a bad idea. But if you're if you're going around saying that it's bipartisan when you do have um, you are leaning to one side of the political spectrum, that is just disingenuous, it seems like, and goes against, you know, being ethical. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, it's just. I, I don't know. It, it's just it's it's uh, it just seems strange to me. It just seems strange. Yeah. All right, uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com, uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com if you want to join the program. Um, we have, um, coming up on the show, we're going to talk about this sales tax thing. It, it, the news broke yesterday that the United States Supreme Court was going to be uh, striking down uh, the Quill v. North Dakota precedent, and basically that precedent was that in order for a state to collect sales taxes on a uh, in order for, for a state to collect sales taxes on a uh, uh, on, on a company that business uh, had to do with had to have a physical presence in the state you know that was that was the issue 
um, the Supreme Court ruling basically, no, that's not the case. So they struck down the Quill precedent, and now I guess it's it's open season on um, – I guess it's open season. And you know what? I, I actually need to correct myself. I'm, I'm stumbling all over myself here because I actually, what I just said about that, that group with Jason Kander, I actually confused that with another group. So I, I oh, apologize. Okay. Um, it's, it, it's another group that's backing the Ethics Commission ballot measure. It's voters' right to know. I confused the two groups. Um, Mr. Kander's group has been supportive of uh, Secretary of State candidate uh, Josh Boucher's group. So I'm correcting myself. I actually had to go back and, as I said it, and then I thought, uh-oh, I think I may have confused the two groups. So I went back and I Googled and I looked at my own at my own post about it. I, I messed that up. So I apologize. That's uh, I tweeted about it, too. I just got rid of my tweet. So um, that was my mistake. I saw it just before the show, and I, I made the wrong connection there. So I do think it's disingenuous, and I do think it lacks integrity for this group to bill themselves uh, as this you know bipartisan group. They're not a bipartisan group. They just are. So anyway, uh, back to the sales tax issue. I wanted to correct that because that's what we do here on the show. What we have here, Ben, is is integrity. That's what we right. do. And when we make mistakes, we correct the mistakes. Mm-hmm. All right, so back to the uh, sales tax issue. A lot of people are, are very celebratory here here in, in, in North Dakota. And we, it's even been some, some bipartisan celebration. I mean, Senator Heidi Heitkamp, who, by the way, was North Dakota's tax commissioner, Back uh, when the the Quill v. North Dakota case uh, was being adjudicated, uh, she was North Dakota's tax commissioner at the time. Um, and so Senator Heitkamp was was happy to see that precedent overturned. Uh, Governor Doug Burgum issued a press release. You know he was happy about it. Uh, press release from um, Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger's office, and Rauschenberger is going to be joining us at one o'clock. Uh, Rauschenberger said in a statement, "I quote: I was pleased to hear that North Dakota overturned Quill versus North Dakota." Um, Rauschberger said this will go a long way to ensure local businesses are on a level playing field with online retailers. And that seems to be, I mean, that's what everybody's talking about, right? Everybody's talking about the fairness of this. Right. Everybody's talking and saying, well, it's unfair that so-called brick and mortar retailers have to collect the sales tax, uh, but online retailers do not, um, I'm not sure I entirely buy that. Honestly, I, I don't I don't think I don't think the problems brick and mortar retailers are having is, is the sales tax. I, th- I think their problems and I honestly I don't think this Supreme Court, I don't think this changes anything for brick and mortar retailers. I think the exact same trends we saw before this Supreme Court ruling are going to continue because the problems they're facing are that the online retailers have a different business model. Right. It's that just serves con- a demand that brick and mortars weren't, which is a demand to be able to shop from home. Right, shop it's so from a wider convenient selection. to just order something online as opposed to, you know, you have to get in the car, drive down. They might not even have what you're looking for at any given day. I wonder, I mean, some, sometimes I find myself doing this. Sometimes I'm just tired, and yeah. I don't really have time to go to the store and shop for light bulbs, even though I need light bulbs. Uh, and so even, I, I mean, I probably don't even price check. It probably even costs me a little bit more to order it online. But you know what? I pay that premium uh, because I don't have to load my kids up in the car, drive down to Walmart, try to find some light bulbs. No, I could just order them. A couple days they're here. The price isn't that much different. Boom, it's done. And this sales tax thing doesn't change that. And by the way, a lot of the, the a lot of the biggest online retailers like Amazon, places like North Dakota, you are already paying the sales tax there anyway. Right. So if you think that this is all of a sudden going to level the playing field, it's not. But I have a bigger worry, Ben, and I wonder if, 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 the, if the listeners feel the same way. I worry what we just did to the Interstate Commerce Clause. 
Now, the Interstate Commerce Clause, of course, is is that part which says that that Congress regulates interstate commerce, right? Not the states. Congress interstates regulates interstate commerce, and the reason why that exists is because, inter, you know, basically we didn't want to have trade wars among the various states, right? We didn't want, you know, uh, you know, North Dakota saying. Uh, you know, we're not going to we're going to put a tariff on, I don't know, wheat imported from Minnesota. Like we didn't want to set off, you know, where one state is trying to impose its will on another state through, you know, putting taxes on that state's whatever. I mean, we just interstate commerce is regulated by Congress. Right. Well, the problem here is that the Supreme Court now says. That states can regulate interstate commerce right because by definition that's what that's what we're talking about here we're not talking about in-state commerce if you're ordering from a business that's in north dakota you have to collect the sales tax that business has a physical presence in your state by definition this has to be interstate commerce and so what we've now said is well it's okay for a business even though that business has no physical presence in the state it's okay for that state to say okay business you have to collect our sales tax for the products you ship into our state so if that's the case, well, then what stops, say, you know, let's let's move it to another venue. What stops, say, the state of Washington, uh, which at, at times has received train shipments of Bakken crude oil, what stops them from saying, okay, North Dakota, uh, or, or, or excuse me, okay, company in North Dakota, uh, since you are shipping uh, your oil into our state, uh, we want to apply a tax on your oil production in North Dakota. Or since you are shipping your oil into our state, we would now like to apply these additional regulations to your oil production in North Dakota. And you have to do it because we're allowed to do it. Otherwise, you're not allowed to ship oil into our state. What happens then? Now, we're protected from that from the Interstate Commerce Clause. As a matter of fact, the state of North Dakota won a a long, like a years-long litigation with the state of Minnesota over coal-fired energy, right? Minnesota didn't want it. They wanted to restrict the, basically, the the transport. I, I don't know. I don't even know what you call it. What do you call it? Do we transmit the um, electricity? Is that the word for it? I don't know. We call them transmission lines. So that must be yeah. it. They wanted to restrict the ability of North Dakota companies to transmit coal-fired electricity into their state. Now, they lost. This this They lost in the courts. Didn't go all the way to the Supreme Court, but they lost in the appeals courts. And the reason why they lost is because of the Interstate Commerce Clause. Except now the Supreme Court has said, well, when it comes to online retail, states can impose their sales tax across state state line. Okay, so, I, I mean, to me, this seems like open season. Right. And Where, I'm, where's I'm, the line drawn when it comes to what you're trading into a state? I'm pretty count. sure the Supreme Court justices themselves no, Justice Neil Gorsuch, which who, by the way, he did concur with the opinion. I mean, so he did he did vote for this. Yep. But in his concurring opinion, this is what he wrote. He said, my agree, my agreement with the court's discussion of the history of our dormant commerce clause jurisprudence, however, should not be mistaken for agreements with all aspects of the doctrine. The commerce clause is found in Article One and authorizes Congress to regulate interstate commerce. Meanwhile, our dormant co- commerce uh, cases suggest Article Three courts may invalidate state laws that offend no congressional statute. Whether and how much of this claim can be squared with the text of the Commerce Clause, justified by stare decisis, 
or defended as misbranded products of federalism or anti-discrimination imperatives flowing from Article 4's Privileges and Immunities Clause are questions for another day. So essentially, this I mean, they're acknowledging, okay, well, you know, even, even, even agreeing, okay, the, the quill precedent maybe shouldn't stand. But that said, we have created problems here with the Commerce Clause, among other aspects of the state of the uh, national constitution, we've created problems here, which are going to be questions for another day. When you would hope and, that they would at least recognize those, then that they do, they are working on plans of how to address it if that comes up. But have they said anything about that, or just that they recognize that it would be an issue? Oh well, that's all. Well, that was see, this was a concurring opinion. Okay. So Gorsuch says it's a question for another day. Okay, but I, I kind of feel. I mean, it feels to me like we've opened a can of worms here. And I'm not so sure. I mean, again, I'm, I'm watching Governor Burgum. I'm watching Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger. I'm watching Senator Heidi Heitkamp. And they're all happy about this. But we're an export-heavy state. We don't use all the electricity. By far, we don't use. We don't use. We don't even use the majority of the electricity that we produce in North Dakota. We don't use most of the egg products that we produce in North Dakota. We don't use most of the oil or natural gas that we produce in North Dakota. We ship. All of those things, plus a lot of other things, out of state. And when you start looking at a lot of what we produce, coal-fired electricity, for instance, oil, for instance, is politically polarizing. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of people who even hold public office, who would like to see oil stay in the ground. So what happens? I mean, you're telling me that there aren't, right, for instance, some North Dakota oil goes down to a refinery in Illinois. You're telling me that there aren't members of the Illinois legislature? wouldn't mind getting their meat hooks into North Dakota oil production, either to tax it or regulate it, either to, to line their their state's own coffers with with money based on North Dakota uh, production, or to regulate for out of out of some ideological motivation, regulate North Dakota's production. These are important questions. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday.com. What do you think? Love to hear from you. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob. Report nine seventy WDAY AM ninety three point one FM seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday.com. Ben, I, I want to make it clear. I mean, I'm I'm sympathetic to uh, the, the complaints of brick and mortar retailers. I of understand course. how they feel. Of course, you know, it's 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 not that I'm trying to be dismissive of of their point of view. Uh, it's just that a I I don't think that the sales tax issue is is as much to do with with the trends we're seeing in retail. You know, the shift away from brick and mortar and towards online retail. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the sales tax was the big silver bullet there. Right. Again, it's not necessarily a matter of the the tax or the money. It's a matter of convenience. At least in my opinion, when it comes yeah. to online versus going to an actual store. I don't think we're not. I don't think we're going to see a reversal of the trend. I don't even think we're going to see a slowdown in the trend because of this. No, no. And you know, the other side of the coin, where you have state, you have state officials, you know, who are sort of, you know, giddy at the idea of all this additional revenue, and potentially it's a lot of revenue. I think um, I saw the tax department. It said they were missing out on potentially fifty million dollars a year from yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. It's not an insignificant amount of money. And, no. and again, we'll, we have Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger on at 1 o'clock. We'll talk about it because North Dakota actually had already in place legislation uh, that was contingent upon Quill, Quill v. North Dakota being overturned. 
So now that Quill v. North Dakota is overturned, North Dakota has legislation going into place. Now it's legislation. It has some exemptions. It's sort of a uh, – or what are they, and, and a number of other states have it as well. Not all states, by the way. Um, but North Dakota is one. And it has uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Montana, I believe, all have in place sort of what they call threshold laws. And, and of course, the Montana law is the one that just went to the Supreme Court. That was South Dakota v. Wayfair. Um, so anyway, they um, – have what call, what's called threshold law. So there's a certain threshold of of business or, or sales or revenue or whatever that you have to do over a certain amount. But, I mean, there's going to have to be an enforcement mechanism there as well, Ben. I mean, how – that's my question for, for Ryan when, when, when the tax commissioner is on is how do we detect when a company's crossed that threshold? Like, how do we know? Are we going to – do we have to audit them? I mean, to me, that's that's a, like just just as an enforcement question. How do you go about doing that? Because if you're, I mean, if you're a, a business, do, do they have to get a license now to sell in the United States? If you're an online retailer, do you now have to get like a like a sales tax license from all fifty states? I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know either, Rob. That's that's another that's another question I, I'm wondering about. I mean, because that was one of the great things about the internet. And I I don't know, like you came up with an idea for a funny T-shirt or something. You create a website, you take orders, you ship the orders. But now do you have to start worrying? Like, okay, well somebody just put in an order from New York. Now I have to go get a New York sales tax permit so that I could ship it to them. Well, that was actually something that um uh, was brought up during the morning show when we were talking about this. Is we talk about you know local brick and mortar stores. There are there are several. Uh, small online sellers too, who would actually possibly be negatively affected by this. Yeah, and, I'm thinking like like et, like Etsy type. Yeah, people. exactly. Yeah, um, and I don't think a lot of people have talked about you know how that may affect them. Um, That's a much bigger part of the online retail than people realize. I yeah, mean, it's not exactly. the largest by any stretch of the imagination, but it's big. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know that we've I don't know that we've carefully considered all the ramifications here, and and that's all before we get to the fact that. You know, we, we have a big interstate commerce question here now as well. I, I wish what I wish we had done is that I, I wish we had created uh, Congress had acted. Right. And and again, we were I was ranting about this yesterday with the immigration thing. But once again, we run into a situation where Congress should have acted. Right. Because that's that's what Article one, the, the Commerce Clause in Article one of the U.S. Constitution says is that com, uh, Congress regulates interstate commerce okay well how hard would it be for congress to set up some sort of a fund right so if you're gonna if you're gonna be an online retail in the united states basically you just got to deal with the federal government right or maybe the federal government and your state and then the federal government has some sort of a thing where they just you know distribute the revenues to, to the states right something like that that to me is in accordance with interstate commerce now i know some people are afraid of that because all of a sudden now we're going to end up with like a federal sales tax which nobody wants no, but you know, I I think the problem though is the Constitution says what it says. Congress regulates interstate commerce, not the states. And I don't want to open up the door to to California or New Jersey or Illinois or Washington or one of these other states regulating what's going on in North Dakota, being able to reach outside of their border. And and the real risk are big giant markets like California, because you already you already sort of see a, a little bit of that. Um, for instance, on the textbooks thing, right? People always talk about because Texas is such a big state with so many school districts and they order so many so many textbooks that a lot of times uh, the textbooks that we get in other states conform 
to Texas textbook standards because Texas is such a large market and they're not going to, you know, uh, publish textbooks. Publishers are not going to publish multiple iterations. I think a lot of times you see that like like with car regulations, right? California is such a big market for automobiles. So a lot of times California's safety standards for automobiles end up getting imposed across the automobile industry because they're not going to they're not going to create a special car for California and then a different car for the rest of the country. No. They're just going to comply with the most stringent standards and just sell that car everywhere. And that's just that's just the marketplace doing that. But now what what all of a sudden they, they, California now has a legal basis to push their regulations out beyond the borders or to push their taxes out beyond their borders. I kind of feel like the Supreme Court just gave them an in. And that to me is scary. As someone who lives in a small population state who exports a ton of stuff, scary. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're on Port 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, we've been talking about the uh, this issue with the uh, Supreme Court striking down the Quill v. North Dakota president, allowing states to uh, implement uh, their sales taxes beyond their borders. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things going on here. I, I think not the least of which this I think this really complicates online retail. If you've now got to figure out how to do, you know, if, if, I mean, if you're a small like like just some person who's making arts and crafts, uh, I want to sell it to the public. Uh, via website that used to be very easy to do and you really only had to worry about you know the tax implications in in your state where you live for yourself uh now if you do it and you start selling in other states you got to start worrying well what are the laws in that state and i realize that north dakota has a threshold law where you got to reach a certain amount of business here to in order for the the sales tax to kill in uh kick in but still that's just north dakota not every state's going to have a law like that so it's, uh, I mean, you're going to have to to figure out what each state's law is, and then also be kept up to date on how those laws change because laws are always changing. What do you think? Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. Caller Ken, you're on. What's up? Well, well, a couple of things. You mentioned why doesn't Congress act? For decades, Congress hasn't acted. They reacted. They and the more pressure, the, the more impetus they have to cast some votes, and then be able to say, well, I didn't really like it, but something had to be done. Um, as far as the online retail goes, I mean, just walk with me here. I'm, looking, I'm thinking about it a little bit differently, and I know that businesses are going to have to buy some software that's going to keep track of, you know, it's kind of like doing your taxes, and, and there's going to be companies that will go out and do the work of figuring out what, what the ins and outs of, of each state's taxes are. That's not already out there, but let's say there's Rob, Rob Port wants to sell some shirts, and you're out of Let's just say you're out of West Virginia, and right. you sell a $10 shirt. That's the cost of the shirt. I buy it in North Dakota, or in Minnesota. Let's say I live in Minnesota. There's no cost or there's no tax to be collected on the shirt, so it's $10. And somebody buys the same shirt, uh, California, and they have a 7% tax. Well, then that person's going to have to charge $10 plus, you know, 70 cents. So the California person is going to be put at a disadvantage in that particular instance where the Minnesota one will gain an advantage. Yeah, I should I should point out that um, Minnesota does have um, 
does have a law in place to tax internet sellers without a physical presence. I'm not that familiar. Uh, I, I'm understanding. I'm reading a, a Tax Foundation article. Minnesota has what's called a New York style click through nexus. I'm not sure what that means, but Minnesota does have some sort of a law. North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming have a um, have a, uh, a, a threshold situation where you have to do a certain amount of revenue before it kicks in montana i I think i stupidly said montana montana doesn't have a sales tax i don't know what i was talking about there um but anyway i mean so 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 what's what are you saying ken i mean i'm I'm saying that i'm saying that the people in california who have high taxes are are going to be hurt because they're doing the buying and they're collecting california sales taxes the people in texas who, who maybe don't have or have a lesser sales tax when they buy online they're going it's going to be a lesser impact to them it's going to be whatever your state has set up that the the residents will will be paying for or paying well right and well and and i I think we've also got to remember ken a lot of the big online retailers are already collecting the sales tax for these states like amazon collecting Yep. Is, is all, I, I think, in fact, I think Amazon's now doing it voluntarily everywhere. They've been doing it in North Dakota for a long time just based on um, the fact that they had a physical presence here, and that was that was the old standard. Um, you know, I, I just – I what, what, I'm, what I'm more worried about, though – uh, right. And it's going to run anywhere from QuickBooks to, you know, your, your, your big box, yeah. Oracle, uh, and – you know, people will right. have to adjust and, and and plug into that system. But I don't so, think so. Have so to you're you're saying you'll you're saying you'll saying we'll get like a turbo tax for sales taxes, and and if you're yes. if you're going to go into the online retail business, you'll be able to yep. you'll be able to do that. Um, that, that believe okay, me, well, that doesn't exist. It will soon, very very soon. Let's, that, let's, that software will exist. Let's let's set that question aside and focus on one that I I'm, I think it's unfortunate more people aren't focusing on. What about the interstate commerce clause, Ken? Well, the interstate I, commerce I, clause says I, Congress I, I regulates interstate. I respect what you're saying, and I'll just say that I don't understand all the ins and outs of the constitutionality. I'm just talking from a, from my opinion, from just a, a guy walking on the street saying, "Well, if if I got to go to Menards and buy a box of nails, and they got to charge me sales tax, but I can go to Amazon and buy a box of nails, and they don't charge sales tax." But you can't. There's some level but, of unfairness there. Amazon, Amazon charges a sales tax, but I, I get your well, point. If you go okay, to an, okay, some, you know, some, some, and, and, and online retailer that does it. Okay, I understand your point, Ken. Uh, I'm, I, that that debate, I, I don't. I mean, to me, that that's a that's a sort of a philosophical debate, and we could have that debate. I don't know that there's a right answer to that debate because you and I just might have a different point of view, and that's fine. Right. I am, I am, I am deadly, deadly worried about what this means for the interstate commerce clause question. Um, and I, I say that North Dakota, we not only export most of what we produce in this state, we also produce some things like oil, like coal-fired electricity that are politically polarizing. And we won a long fight with Minnesota about exporting coal-fired electricity into their state, and we won it on the basis of the Commerce Clause. But now if the Supreme Court saying, oh, no, states, you can impose your taxes uh, and and by if we, they can do taxes, I, I imagine they can do other things like regulation. You can impose those beyond your state borders. I worry about what that means for a state like California that might want to say, hey, all you people that are importing stuff, we want to impose our taxes and our regulations on you too. Well, you've, you've made a jump for, for me. You've made a jump from, and I don't know if they're, how, how connected they are, but from sales taxes to regulation. And well, I, I well, know, they're both they're both I'll laws. I mean, a tax is, tied together at the hip. A, ta- a tax is just a form of a regulation, really. 
That's all it is. But again, I come back to what I started with: was, is ta- California is taxing their their whatever California's rate taxes is. Let's say that's it's fifty percent. I mean, a ridiculous fifty percent on sales taxes. That doesn't affect me in North Dakota as an online buyer. It only affects the Californian who's buying as an online buyer. Yeah, unless California says, well, hey, in order in order to uh, in order to sell online to our state's customers, uh, you also have to comply with all these regulations for your business. But okay, okay. But if we go there, then they're affecting that it's California. But you know, but well, people, again, but but citizens. but again, okay. So, but it's California, and it's Illinois, and it's Missouri, and it's Louisiana, and it's New York. It's across the border. Now, all of a sudden, we've got fifty states all trying to impose their will on this situation. This is why the interstate commerce clause exists in Article One of the Constitution. This is why we have one legislative body that regulates interstate congress interstate commerce and that's congress now the supreme court saying oh no now we have 50 plus congress well here's just a, a slightly different angle on what what you're all saying here is congress doesn't act things happen lawsuits okay. dictate our lives but that shouldn't that shouldn't no, no. the constant well i mean I, congress's lack of of ability to do their jobs is not an excuse to just Set aside a portion of the Constitution. Not, not an excuse. I'm just saying more and more. That's how things yeah. look, look at gay marriage. Look at all these rulings that are coming down that that, that that Congress doesn't act. So someone files a lawsuit. The Supreme Court comes in. It's five to four, well, and it's settled. I don't. I mean, I, I, I mean, the, again, the gay marriage is not interstate commerce. So to me, that's 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 not not a good comparison. But Ken, I, I got to move on. I appreciate it. Look into the commerce clause issue a little bit more. I think you might find it revealing. Uh, we got another caller, William. You're on. What's up, Rob? I, I know this is all new to everybody in this whole country, you know, and all that stuff. But the question that I have, and you can ask Ryan, is it going to be fifty different state taxes? Or ten thousand different local and city yeah. and state yeah, taxes. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that's the yeah. big question. And then if it's fifty state taxes, and we get this fifty million dollars that they say we're missing in North Dakota, who gets this fifty million dollars? Because you know what's going to happen is, oh, we got to fix the roads in Fargo. Well, then we're going to have Devil's Lake complaining, or Dickinson complaining, or somebody else complaining well, that they didn't get their. Fair we already. Care of it. We oh, we already get it. We already collect a ton of sales tax, and that all goes into oh, the general I know we fund. Do. You know, yeah, so yeah. I the, the, so this this would just be additional money on that line item, and it would get split up. It would get spent and split up the same way the legislature always does. So I don't think I don't think that's going to be an issue. Your point though about not just fifty taxing jurisdiction, but tens of thousands. When you start yeah, talking because, counties, because you start talking you use, cities. You use the Montana thing as an example, Rob. If we want to do it this way, the people that live in Williston, you know what? I'm going to go over to, uh, um, I forget, one of the towns right on the border there. I'm going to set up a P.O. box, have all my there you go. there, <laughs> and then just go over. Ben is, ben is, ben is smiling because we literally, I literally yesterday talked about a story where there's a town in Washington that's right on the Canadian border. Yeah. And Canadians do that, and they have US, goods from U.S. online yep. retailers shipped there Absolutely. because this little, this tiny community that has has like 5,000 people in it, it's just south of Vancouver. And so all the yep. people from Vancouver, they have their U.S. products shipped there, uh, and then they just drive down to the, uh, and it's it's a little cottage industry there. There's like, it's a town of 5,000 people. They have like 25 mailbox stores. That, that's um, exactly it. I mean, there's there's loopholes around everything. You know, I could. Drive well, yeah, that's a great you know, loophole if you live if you live in Minnesota, Minnesota. If you 
Yeah. If you live in Williston, that's a great loophole. For those of us that yep. don't, uh, it's, it's not such a great loophole. And, and to me, th- this is my problem. I feel like we've, we've knocked the lid off a can of worms and we did it out of this, this supposed sense of fairness to brick and mortar retailers who, frankly, I don't think are going to be all that helped by this. No, just I don't, like you I, said earlier, I, I, I order a lot of stuff online because, sure. you know, I'm a bigger guy and they always have my size in stock. Yeah. I can go over to Walmart. Yeah, they don't got it in stock today. Yeah. Okay, great. I'll, I'll wait an extra day and get it in stock, you know, tomorrow. Yeah. I'm a fat guy myself. The selection online is a lot better. Um, I mean, I was super happy when Duluth Trading Company came to Fargo because I ordered a lot of stuff online from them. Yeah. So, but, you, you know, know I, still, I still order online, but I still see, go and to I, court, I, you know? Yeah. And, and increasingly, I mean, I, I, I just, I think this was just so unnecessary. I wish Congress had acted. I feel like we weakened the interstate commerce clause with this. Um, I feel like there's a can of worms that's been opened here. And we might not, I mean, it's going to take a while for people to start getting it through their heads like, hey, there's an opportunity here. I mean, it may be a few a few years before we see the worms start to turn on this, but I think we may have created ourselves a problem. William, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're on Port 970, WDAY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Honestly, I don't know. Ken and I went back and forth a little bit on the, you know, the question whether or not it's it's a fairness thing to have, uh, you know, in the wake of the Supreme Court decision, whether or not it's a, it's a fairness thing to have uh, online retailers collecting the tax. And most of the big retailers were already, were already collecting local sales taxes um you know and, and we can have a debate you know all the different taxing entities i don't know maybe it could be easily solved i it complicates online re- i mean the internet's always been a very thriving market it's been growing so well i i just think uh you know and that was that was part of chief justice john roberts dissent if you read the dissent in the supreme court ruling that's part of what he was talking about is the internet's thrived on the status quo we changed the status quo at our risk i'm not sure that i'm I'm not sure that I'm 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 as unconcerned as Ken is about the ramifications for this for people trying to open online businesses and sell across state borders. Uh, the the reason why in America it's supposed to be you know domestic commerce is easy in America is because getting across getting your products across state boards borders is usually pretty easy and that's right because you know you have basically one governing entity, Congress, when it comes to selling across state borders. So. Um, but now we've we've created a much different situation, and that 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 worries me. A in the context of the sales tax question, uh, and it worries me. B in the uh, in the context of what do we just do to the commerce clause? You know, and it, and it's funny because the commerce clause is actually um, the basis for a lot of fe- for, for the federal government sticking their nose into a lot of places where it doesn't belong. Um, did you know that that the the commerce clause is the basis for all federal gun laws, Ben? No, I did not. Yeah, that's why that's why the, the federal government has 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 appropriated to itself the ability to regulate firearms because they define firearms as interstate commerce. It's a rather rather tortured view, I think, huh. of the intent of the going the other way, where we're applying the interstate commerce clause too broadly. But in this instance, I think the Supreme Court didn't um, didn't apply it broadly enough. As a matter of fact, I think uh, the interstate commerce clause is exactly what it was intended to prevent. You know, 50 states at war with one another over competing tax policies and regulations trying to impose their will across their borders. This is not what we want. Mm-hmm. Or what William brought up about, you know, even local taxing. 
Yeah. Yeah. You got it tens of thousands of local local taxing entities. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, to me, that's a question for uh, – because, again, we're going to have the tax commissioner, Ryan Rauschenberger, and he's going to run us through what North Dakota's law is. Now that Quill's been overturned, the legislature had already passed legislation. We're one of – North Dakota's one of 31 states with a policy in place to tax Internet sellers – that don't have a physical presence in their state. Um, 19 states basically don't have a policy. So basically that just that just reverts to the old way where, you know, like, like Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, those are places where, um, you know, basically just the old way. If, if a business doesn't have a physical presence, then they're not going to tax it. Uh, you can bet now the Supreme Court struck this down. I bet you some of those states are going are gonna to pass policies of their own yep. as well. Um, but North Dakota, you know, with along with 30 other states, have policies in place. So we'll find out from the tax commissioner what that policy is. And and one thing I'm curious about is, okay, so so are we differentiate differentiating now, right? So if a if an online retailer sells to Fargo as opposed to Minot, are those two different sales taxes, or do they just have to remit the state sales tax? Right? Are the cities getting their cuts? And if why? I mean, if we're going down this road, then why shouldn't the cities get their cut too? Interesting question. I wonder if the answer is, well, they don't have a physical presence in the city, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, more to come. Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger on next. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back to Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We've been talking about the uh, Supreme Court ruling on uh, on sales taxes, and the Supreme Court has overturned um, a precedent uh, that was set by a case out of here in North Dakota, Quill v. North Dakota. That's now been overturned. The original case dealt with uh, a mail-order business that uh, you know they, they argued and they won at the time. Uh, that they didn't have to pay sales taxes in North Dakota because they didn't have a physical presence here. And now uh, the Supreme Court's overturned that. Uh, it's a brave new world now. North Dakota, uh, one of 31 states that uh, have laws in place ready for the day when Quill v. North Dakota was overturned. So uh, now that Quill v. North Dakota has been overturned, North Dakota already has laws in place to apply the sales tax to uh, at least some online commerce here to talk with me about that is our tax commissioner ryan rauschenberger uh fresh off of poking fun at my bald spot on twitter by the way rauschenberger i saw that <laughs> i well first i want to say thanks for having me on and and all i was recognizing was ditto and that uh you'd made a comment about losing your hair and i i recognized yeah. so am i <laughs> i was gonna say i was gonna say pal I've seen the back of your head too. All right. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't meaning to poke poke fun at you, but uh, just right. recognizing that we're you're not alone. If you okay. feel like you're going bald in the back of your head, I, I feel I feel the same way when yeah. you get pictures taken from behind or or above. I look at yeah. it and go, "Wow, what is Uh-oh. what has happened What's to me? What's going on? <laughs> what is happening to me? I am fat and bald, and I don't know. It seemed like just yesterday I wasn't. Um, all right, yeah, enough here. about that." Uh, Ryan, what are our laws now that uh, the Supreme Court has acted? Quill v. North Dakota is overturned. What are our laws, and one of these laws? I mean, are they in effect now? What's happening? Well, you know, it's it's been a, a crazy couple days. You know, the the Supreme Court did overturn the old physical presence precedent that was set back in 1992, um, and being you know one of we have a, a code, the code here, the Century Code, basically mirrors South Dakota, where it says that any any business that has 
um, at least $100,000 of sales into North Dakota or 200 transactions of sales um, online um, has to start collecting and remitting sales tax. And basically, our law, like in other states, that uh, ours is a little different, is very more prescriptive, but basically our law went into effect yesterday, and we're getting calls. Um, we, we've been ramping up for months, anticipating um, the overturn of the old physical presence rule. Uh, we've uh, Some of our compliance efforts, we've got our, our website up and running with FAQs, uh, links, uh, specific email for online retailers, specific phone line for online retailers that will get you right to the people that can help answer questions that you might have. So uh, we've been ramping up, uh, spending hours, you know, hundreds of hours getting ready for this, not knowing whether or not the court was going to do this. I, I have to admit, um, I, was, I was surprised. It did a full overturn, but we were prepared for it. Uh, I think last time I was on the show, I think I'd meant on your radio show, I think I had mentioned the fact that I, I didn't know if they were going to overturn it. But we were prepared for it. We're taking calls. Yeah. Uh, from both in-state and out-of-state retailers, just curious kind of what, what's the landscape now. And, and our, our law is effective as of yesterday. It was contingent upon this decision being overturned, and it was overturned. So I, I, in terms of our law, and I, I know because we, we had a caller earlier who asked the question about, I mean, obviously we, we talk about there being 50 different taxing jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's a lot more when you count yeah. local governments. Now, he was saying, well, do we have tens of, th- I mean, not just, you know, Granted, some states don't have a law in the books. 31 states have some sort of a law, not necessarily like our laws, but some sort of a law uh, to tax Internet sales for, for, for retailers without a physical presence in the state. I'm sure you don't know the status of the other states, but here in North Dakota, um, is it a different tax? Like if they if they sell a product to someone in Fargo versus Minot, do those municipal sales taxes apply? How does that work? Yeah, so basically one of the things – that was important in this decision is is the Supreme Court recognized that South Dakota, like North Dakota, um, is a member of streamlined sales tax. We have this. Uh, we basically have uh, implemented the simplification standards, which is one point, um, and 24 states have this, which is one the the state administers all of the state and local sales taxes. So uh, both South Dakota and North Dakota, we have one point of collection, one point of audit. So basically, um, a one-stop shop, which is the state. And um, if, if a seller is selling into North Dakota, um, based on what the Supreme Court had ruled, is they have to collect both the state and local tax. And basically where we're at with that um, is one of the reasons we're part of Streamline, we have this simplification, is um, a requirement to be part of that consortium, Streamline consortium, is that we have the same base at the state and the local level. So we don't have... We don't, Fargo and Minot, by law, have to have the same base. So they all have. To, if you have a sales tax, all clothing is taxable. Um, all you know, um, whatever essentially is taxable at the state level is mirrored at the local level. So there's simplification that we've done to be a member of streamlined sales tax. So when a seller sells into North Dakota, they should be um, starting to collect both the state and the local tax. And that's one thing that kind of gets lost in this is, is it wasn't just the state 5% sales tax. This was something that the local governments were pushing for as much as the states because a lot of these online sales um, weren't just bypassing the state tax. It was also the local one, you know, half percent or one and a half percent local tax. So it absolutely does apply to those local, local taxes as well. 
Uh, I've got a, a a question as well from a a listener, and now I'm trying to pull it up here. Um, but the the question being, you know, what what if I, you know, I live in North Dakota, right? And let's say I order uh, a birthday present for somebody who lives in Minnesota. So I'm I'm the purchaser, and I bought it from North Dakota, but I had it delivered to my family in Minnesota. Am I paying sales taxes for North Dakota or Minnesota or or both? Right. So, so you never, um, based on the sales tax laws, you should never have to pay that tax twice. But basically, if you buy from an online retailer, and I think that's what you're saying, is right. I, I'm assuming the question is, I, so a North Dakota resident buys from an online retailer. If that is getting shipped, even though you're purchase, purchasing it, and this is basically you know, decades-old precedents in law, too, if that's getting sh- it's always based on the destination, assuming that's the state's law, uh, that if you're shipping to Minnesota, you're going to, because that's where the common carrier's taking it, um, that's the tax that is essentially owed on that. So basically, uh, if, I'm, if I'm hearing the question right, that if you, the North Dakota resident buys online and has that shipped to a North Dakota resident, that is basically, you're paying that bill as a president. You're having that shipped to Minnesota, you're going to pay that tax. And that would have been true... For example, that's what Amazon, who's been collecting remitting in, in states voluntarily for a time now, um, I, if they've got it set up that way, that's that's what would happen right now, If, for example, if you were doing this with Amazon. So so that's been current practice for a lot of these online companies that have been collecting remitting for the other states. And it's based on that destination, not just because you live here and you purchase it, it's based on where that goes. So it's, What's- it's basically that end address destination. Okay. What what sort of additional revenues are we looking at getting from this? So what we've estimated, based on some national studies, so uh, NCSL, National Conference of State Legislators, in 2014 did a national study and broke down state by state. Um, we're, based on that, grossing it up because online sales have are growing at, by at least 10% per year in the United States. Huge growing industry. Um, we're looking at anywhere from 25 to 50 probably closer to $50 million per year in additional revenue. Uh, you know, that could fluctuate. Uh, but uh, what's important to note is, uh, just to put in comparison, in the Supreme Court case, in the decision, um, the U.S. Supreme Court noted that uh, South Dakota estimates 48 to $58 million. So we're kind of in the same ballpark on our estimates. We're basing it on the same national studies. Um, so every state has a little different treatment or expected additional revenue under this law but you know it's gonna not everybody is gonna comply and uh on day one and it's gonna you know we're we're working we're doing active compliance we're going to be sending out very soon here sending out notices to the basically the top retailers in the nation uh making sure that if you have not if you have not begun registration processes you need to get going and start registering right now and start collecting tax so we have a very active compliance campaign uh, within the department. We've shifted resources to that because it's yeah. important. It's new territory, and it's important that we yeah. comply starting with day one. I, I have a question about compliance too. Because what if I mean, what if, if I'm sitting in a, I, I don't know, I'm I'm sitting in my house in in Montana, uh, and I got a business, and all of a sudden I'm selling a, a bunch of stuff into into North Dakota. Mm-hmm. How would you know about it? Like as as our tax right. commissioner in charge of enforcing the law, how do you know how much I'm selling in, in Montana or how much I'm selling into North Dakota? Well, that's that's part of this. Is you know I've had a lot. We've had a lot of discussions, and 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 we're in the same boat as other states. Is um, 
basically, you know, if you're advertising, um, if you're if you're act, you know, if you're if you have an app open in front of you and this website's coming up, you know, we know that the, it companies that are actively basically through kind of a a rudimentary compliance, like, oh, are, are they advertising in the Fargo forum or are they are, 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 are on their website? Are they coming up in digital ads? We can see that. So likely they have sales here. So we don't necessarily – compliance is absolutely a consideration that all of us of states um, are having to look at because it's not like there's a brick-and-mortar business down on Main Street where we go, well, right, well, if you don't collect and remit, um, we'll come down and visit you, right? We'll come down and – come and audit and look at your books and see if you're collecting. It's a, it's a much different realm of compliance that we'll basically have to continue to craft and, and improve on as we move, as we go forward. But what we're focusing on right now really are those top, say, 1,000 that we know are out there that have significant sales across uh, the United States. And, and part of your point is, you know, we have that de minimis $100,000. If you don't have $100,000 of sales into, into North Dakota, we can't tax you by law because we have that de minimis. So we're focusing really on the top down. We'll call it the yeah. low-hanging fruit of uh, businesses that have significant online sales nationwide, and we assume uh, that much of that comes to North Dakota as well. So you could assume that the vast majority of revenue uplift will come from that top-tier uh, Internet, those top-tier Internet sales companies that are currently not collecting in yeah. a number of states. I've I've That's always a great been. Question. It's a and, yeah. and, and it's an it's a question and it's an issue that all states that have sales taxes are going to have to deal with. Yeah. In that you know you're going to have to use different compliance methods. Look at different ad. You know we we look at ads here now too, uh, because yeah. that's true for physical companies too. If you come in with trailers selling out of a trailer on the street corner, um, you're here. You're physically present, but you don't necessarily have an address. But if you're yeah. advertising locally, we see that and go, all right, they have a physical presence and they have to collect and remit, and we reach I, out to them. I'm, I'm worried that as an online retailer, like, not, not that I'm an online retailer, if I were an online retailer, like, what, what worries me is that I'm, I'm looking across this, I mean, because I'm, I'm on the Tax Foundation website right now. Yeah, right. And I'm looking, and there's, there's all sorts of different, there's, there's 31 states that have policies uh, and all those policies. And I, and I imagine now that the Supreme Court has acted, um, we're going to see states that maybe don't have policies now are going to get policies. Maybe states with existing yeah. policies are going to change their policies. If I'm an online retailer, I now have to keep track of 50 different states and what their laws are. Not not just not just you know get myself ready to to comply with them in the moment, but also keep up to date with them going forward. And, and also on top of that, you're talking about well, we haven't figured out the compliance angle now. So is there going to be some sort of reporting that all? online retailers have to do in order to, you know, so, so that you can be assured that they haven't crossed the threshold and, and become taxable? I mean, this this seems like a real nightmare for online retailers. Well, and when I say, um, you know, when we're looking at our compliance method, this is just like, like I was making a reference to any, anybody who comes into town with a trailer and starts selling tools out of it. Um, you know, we deal with that kind of compliance issue, whether it's a physical presence issue, now online issue every day. But when it comes, and it's absolutely going to be up to the retailers um, to make sure that whatever state you're selling into, uh, based on this decision, um, uh, like in our case, you can register, 24 of those states are members of Streamline. So you can register in one point and be registered in all 24 of those states. And so if you sell to any one of those states with the software that Streamline provides you, it'll, it'll look at what, what's taxable, it'll calculate the rate where you're selling to, and they'll do that compliance for you. 
So at least in our 24 states that we're a member of, we've done our simplification efforts yeah. and we've done our compliance efforts. Now, it is those other ha- the other half in the United States that, um, I'll be honest, you know, Congress still can act. And, and, and there might be a lot of pressure for Congress to act and essentially clarify yeah. now that this rule is overturned. I want to be clear that this is not – it's not that, okay, we're done. You know, that this is just the law of the land. It's the law of the land now, but there's a lot of pressure, and as we've been putting on Congress for, you know, almost 20 years now, to create this legislatively. Um, There could very well, it could be this year still or next year, Congress could come in and say, you know what, we're going to have this de minimis threshold across the nation. We're going to use the South Dakota model, and everybody has to basically have a similar um, one-point audit. You don't have to go like we do where it's all through the state, have similar definitions that really help ease that compliance. So I, 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 have, to, I have to agree with you on a point that so there are people who are going to look at a number of different states that they might sell into and have to comply and register with them separately because they're not a member of Streamline. They might have a different definition of different products. And yeah. basically that's, that's potentially the law of the land right now until Congress does something yeah. different. Well, let me uh, and and that that brings me to my land. I mean, I, w- I wish Congress had acted too. I don't like yeah, that the Supreme I, I Court ruled. I don't like that the Supreme Court ruled in this. And that was one thing that I was worried about when I saw because I'm reading the press release from the governor's office. I'm reading the press release from your office. I'm reading Senator Heitkamp's reactions. And all these, I mean, everybody's happy. Like, oh, it's more revenues, and and this is you know it was unfair to brick and mortar retailers and everything. What about the Commerce Clause? And all this. We're a state that exports just about everything we produce. I mean, we export most most things that we produce. And a lot of the things that we produce are politically polarizing. You know, coal-fired electricity, Mm -hmm. oil. I I realize that this is a little beyond the realm of tax policy, which is what you deal with. But I am deeply worried that if North Dakota can apply our sales tax to businesses that have no physical presence in our state, that are engaging by what is, by definition, interstate commerce – um, that all of a sudden other states, you know, maybe Minnesota could go back and say, hey, you know what, that ruling we had previously, uh, we want to reopen that uh, and put a tariff on coal-fired electricity coming into our state. Well, I, I think one, it's important to recognize that even in the, in the opinion, um, it was based on the fact that our sales taxes are not discriminatory um, on based on what's coming in or treat that differently than what's going out, and that is one thing. And, right. it's, and it's not necessarily – very clear, but reading uh, in different parts of the opinion, in the, in the prevailing parts of the opinion, you know, it, it, it cites the fact that, you know, our sales taxes are not being discriminatory like, like the Minnesota law was when we're talking about um, tax on coal, et cetera, et cetera. It was targeting uh, out-of-state and basically treating them differently than in-state. So I, I'm not necessarily addressing everything. I, I think we're talking about the same thing. But yeah. um, there, there's... One of the reasons why they ruled in favor, from what I could see, is states are not saying, oh, we're going to tax you differently than our in-state. We're treating all this commerce the same and leveling that playing field and just saying, you have to play with the same rules. It's being yeah. consumed well, here. A lot of these companies but even, have I mean, more economic presence here based yeah. on a million dollars of sales. You know, one com- online company could have a million dollars of sales here selling tools into the state, for example, but the and didn't have to collect tax. But... Um, uh, a Main Street hardware store that might only sell eighty, ninety thousand dollars of tools a year has to, and and they made that very clear in the opinion. And, well, and I, I just frankly agree. 
I worry. I mean, I but I, I worry. I mean, if if Cal, like California, for instance, says, well, if you're going to sell tires into our state, you're going to have to comply yeah. with the same regulations that tire manufacturers in California have to yeah. comply with, yeah. even though you're sure. in North Dakota. That's what sure. I'm really worried about. Right. And I, I I worry that because we North Dakota spends a lot of time filing lawsuits to protect our state sovereignty. I worry that with this, uh, we may have won a battle and lost a war. And and I but, think uh, I think it's a good point. Point right because one there's two things going forward is one nothing could happen and we we live with the Supreme Court decision it's a lot of land right now two is in those other states that maybe haven't reached um, we'll say the simplification that we have done or simplifying the laws and have one point of taxation and audit like we do there could be an, a challenge next week that yeah. goes into courts from those say like New York New York City has its own local tax Chicago didn't. You know, Chicago will not comply with yeah, I am. because it's all about Chicago. So they have different bases, different taxes on yeah. the sales tax. There, there absolutely could be a, another case that goes and says these these are way too difficult to comply with nationwide. That could very yeah. well happen in the next few months. However, well, we have met that de minimis that the Supreme Court has set, and then two would be Congress. Yeah, well, so we'll we'll have to see, Ryan. I am going forward. For sure. I am so far over time here. Ryan's giving oh, me, or Brian, so or Ben's give, Ben's giving. No, it's not your fault. It's my fault. Ben's giving me the stink eye, though. We got to go. Uh, thanks, thanks for your time, Ryan. This is an interesting debate going forward. We'll keep it going. Thanks for having me on. That's uh, Tax Commissioner Ryan Rauschenberger. This is the Rob Report, nine seventy WDAY AM ninety three point one FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, nine seventy WDAY AM ninety three point one FM. Boy, we have zero time here, don't we? Uh, that I, uh, is correct. We went way overboard, but I wanted to get all those questions answered. Right, that's no, a really interesting questions. topic. Yeah, with uh, with with the tax commissioner just understanding, and and he's basically saying, yeah, uh, it will. Like it, depending on where the product, you know, basically he said two things: the tax is based on where the product is delivered. So if you if you as a North Dakotan buy something from an online retailer and then have it delivered to your mom who lives in Minnesota, you're going to pay the Minnesota tax on that, even though you live in North Dakota and you're the one paying based on where it's delivered uh and then that also applies here in north dakota if you live in fargo if you order a product delivered in fargo you're going to pay the fargo iteration of the sales the state sales tax plus what fargo tax on uh same if you live in minot you're going to pay the state sales tax plus what minot tax on that's how it's going to work but that's all collected by the state um i I, there's going to be some turmoil here for a while ben uh, and I yeah. guess we'll we'll figure that out as it goes. Anyway, hey, coming up for the next segment, Linda Boyd. Uh, she was a candidate for the Fargo City Commission, uh, was unsuccessful. She did not win. Uh, but after the election, there was an article out which uh, was, was talking about how there's just dudes on the Fargo City Commission. She was quoted in it, but says that her quote in that article was 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 not maybe a reflection of of how she actually feels about it and we're going to talk about identity and voting and politics because well there are issues that come up a lot and they're worth discussing and i i think linda and i can have a a nice discussion about it and that's coming up next if you want to join in 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com we'll be right back welcome back to rob port 970 wday am 93.1 fm all right, we're going to talk about an issue, and it's it's a little old now, but uh, this is when I could get Linda on the program, and and I think it's a I think it's a topic that is topical beyond uh, the results of the Fargo City Commission uh, race earlier this uh, earlier this month. Um, it's it's a question of you know diversity in in public office, and I hear a lot of people complain 
that North Dakota does not have enough women in office. Um, my rebuttal to that in a lot of ways is that a uh, gender shouldn't matter when you're voting for people, things like, uh, you know, competency and accomplishments and uh, governing philosophy. Those are the things that should matter. Uh, and also be uh, not, not, a, not as many women run for public office to begin with. And it's hard to elect women when not a lot of women run. Uh, but anyway, here uh, talking uh, to me now is a uh, former Fargo City Commission candidate, Linda Boyd, who uh, was quoted in, in a forum article that I, I kind of teed off on it on the blog a little bit because I was reading through and there was a quote uh, from Linda. And it was, uh, well, here, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll read an excerpt from the article. This is, this is from the lead. Uh, I quote, another election cycle has passed with no women winning seats on the all-male Fargo City Commission. Three women, Arlette, P, uh, Arlette Preston, Linda Boyd and Liz Maddock Johnson campaigned but were unsuccessful in Tuesday's election. Preston worries that the lack of female leadership could send a message to young girls that achieving elected office is unattainable. She said women bring things to the table that men don't. Uh, the article then went on and quoted Boyd. Boyd, another former commissioner, said it's abs- it's an absolute advantage to have a woman on the board and that it's important to have gender diversity and other kinds of diversity as well. I think five middle-aged white guys is not a representation of our community, she said. Linda, how you doing? Hey, <laughs> boy, it's sure fun to hear that again. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you didn't you didn't like how that was quoted. Why don't yeah, Why don't you explain it, that? It, it is kind of a cringer the way it came out, and and I, um, I'm not casting aspersions on the reporter, but it was interesting. It was the day after the election, and uh, the former reporter called me up and said, "I'm doing an article on women in elected office," and we had. I would say about a 15, 20 minute conversation about all sorts of topics. So um, that just sounded kind of harsh. And I, I I wish I hadn't said it quite that way. But, you know, that's that's what happens. That's I what is better. your position? I mean, if, if, if that's not I mean, what is your position? Right. I mean, because I'll tell you, I don't like uh, granted this wasn't a quote. This was the reporter writing this and attributing it to to Arlette Preston. Uh, but the reporter wrote, quote, she said women bring things to the table that men don't. Um, right. I don't know. I mean, even that, I think, kind of sets my teeth on edge. I would never say that about women, that men men bring things that women don't. I feel like people would think I'm a I'm a uh, a misogynist to say something <laughs> like that. And I don't I don't think I don't think it's any better going the reverse way. Right. I think um, to kind of put a little context to that, I do think women bring things to the governing table that men don't in terms of life experience uh, sometimes priorities. And it's not just women and men. Uh, I think as much, especially on a nonpartisan body like a city commission or a school board for that matter, I've served on both, it's helpful to have uh, a wide spectrum of philosophies, points of view. So you get that with all kinds of diversity. You get it with with age, you get it with gender, you get it with kind of cultural background, all sorts of things. And so I think the more homogenous a governing body is, the more of a challenge they have to really reflect and represent all points of view in their community. I think that's what that phrase so, means. So do you, I mean, do you think then that diversity is something, I mean, because it, it, to me, that's that's the hump. I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, and, and I don't, but I, I don't know that it's, it's not limited to gender. I mean, I look at like, 
backgrounds. Like right. a lawyer yep. can yep. bring a, a degree of expertise that, and, and that's, that's, that, that's separate yeah. from like a, like a farmer could bring, yep. right? Yep. Uh, not, not exactly. that one's necessarily better than the other. It's just different. Right. And that's not bad. But then do you, do you then vote for diversity? I mean, when I go to the ballot box, am I supposed to start saying, well, well, that's a woman. So I'm going to give her so many points versus, <laughs> right. versus this, that, that's I a man. Think, I mean, I, I have a problem with that. Right. I think a lot of people bring all sorts of priorities into the voting booth with them. Um, I know people that vote for all the women candidates no matter what. Um, I know some men who do that. <laughs> because to them, that's a priority, to have that kind of uh, diversity of, of life experience. I don't vote that way. Um, I think I think diversity is an outcome. I don't know that it's kind of the goal going into it. So I think I would agree with you that a successful candidate, a, a good person in, in on a governing body should bring competency and a thoughtful approach to issues and, and all those things that you want your elected representative to have. And if if the slate of candidates is strong and out of that you get uh, quite a bit of diversity on your governing body, I think that's a plus. All right, fair enough. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. There's another aspect of this, too, and I've, I've, I've long had this discussion with, um, you know, obviously, I'm, as you might imagine, Linda, I spend a lot of time talking to other Republicans. <laughs> uh, and so I talk with Republican women, for instance. Sure. And a lot of times they feel like they don't when 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 people uh, and I don't I don't want to get too you know politically drippy about this, but when people on on the left and that's this is their perspective, when people on the left talk about diversity in office, they don't necessarily mean Republican women because Republican women a lot of times have social like like for instance socially conservative views. So I know I know that there are there are Republican women who who serve in the legislature who have served in the legislature. Who tell me that when I hear when I hear you know feminist groups or I hear feminists talk about wanting women in public office, they don't mean us. And so I, I worry sometimes is, is is when we start using a thing like gender or or race or even sexual orientation because I've I've spoken with homosexual Republicans who again mm-hmm. say, well, we don't count because although we're homosexual, we don't have the right political outlook. And so now I now I then I worry that okay now we're using gender or sexual orientation or race as sort of avatars for how these people are supposed to to see the world and how they would would govern in office and I think that's unfair too. Mm-hmm. Well, once it becomes partisan then that kind of uh once we're talking people in political parties that kind of adds a layer to it because then you have kind of a, a set of stances or platforms that you expect out of one party or the other. I think that's what differentiates it from Nonpartisan races, it, it makes them like kind yeah, of a different I, animal. But just wait, well, I, I, I'm going to answer your question. Sure. So when you look at the North Dakota legislature, um, I I know many Republican women legislators, and I tend to either support or not support them based on their stance on certain issues. So, for example, a huge champion of of social programs in the legislature is Judy Lee. I mean, yeah. and and Kathy Hawken was always a huge champion for education and early childhood ed- education. I mean, those are two uh, women Republican legislatures, legislators, for example, who I think the world of. And it ha- doesn't have anything to do with their gender or their party. Um, clearly, we have a supermajority of Republicans in 
in Bismarck and even within the Republican legislators, there's quite a diversity of stances yeah. on various The issues. ideological divide in North Dakota is in the Republican Party, not necessarily. I mean, that's how large they are in office. Right. And, and just... I think in any other state, you might be able to maybe chip away a third of those and they would be Democrats in any other uh, state. But, you know, I don't, I don't get... know about that. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I do know a lot of women. We have we have Democrats in North Dakota. Heidi Heitkamp's a Republican in Minnesota. <laughs> I'm sorry. She well, just sure. is. But I mean, in, in order to get uh, to get elected and actually to get something done, once you get to Bismarck, it's easier to do that if you're sitting in an R seat than if you're sitting in a D seat. I mean, I think it just has a lot to do with with where you are and what the political landscape is in your in your town or in your state. But to answer your question, um, when Republican women say they don't mean me, I know what they're saying. Uh, you know, if if you have really strong opinions on on this or that kind of hot button issue that um you know when when you're talking about feminists i don't know if you mean democrats <laughs> but you know there's there's issues there's there's gender there's all those things to me kind of getting back to the city commission um one thing i love about that body or the school board is you don't have a party telling you what to do on a particular issue it it's kind of every person for themselves on, you know, a pothole's a pothole. Yeah. And so then what you do bring, you know, you're not leaning on a, a party's particular take on city issues. It's all, what do you bring to, to this table? And so uh, in that situation, I think it's more helpful to have greater diversity. And not to yeah. say that there isn't diversity on the, on the commission as you look at it now, there's ideological diversity, uh, certainly. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I agree with you with not. I, I don't know that nonpartisan offices are really all that nonpartisan. I think they're just less transparent with the views of the candidates. Um, but, I, but I don't. I mean, partisan affiliation is kind of a blunt instrument when it comes to defining. Because, sure. like we just got done talking about, uh, there are Republicans who. Uh, uh, disagree on on have a pretty wide spectrum of, of ideologies even within the republican party so right. i mean it's a blunt instrument i worry sometimes that local races by not having to, to sort of define themselves ideologically more because to me ideology is what matters i mean you can you can you know policy stances are one thing but policies come policy questions come and go i mean to me i'm always very interested in in, in sort of the philosophy that they're going to bring to an office as a way to try to anticipate how they might Sure. react well, a given candidate enough. might react to, to, to issues that aren't maybe necessarily on our radar yet but, so, but here's here's what's um what i've always found fascinating so when uh back when i was on the city commission um i don't think it's there's any secret that i've been uh, associated or tend to lean left or you know more on the democratic side you're a liberal that's all right okay. that's all right yeah. or progressive or whatever, whatever you can, sell, you can self-identify all right yes. um but pretty okay pretty pragmatic Liberal. Let me at least say that. Uh, fair enough. Fair uh, but when I was on the commission, so Brad Wimmer, who was, you know, very well known uh, Republican, he and I voted together almost more than anyone because those yeah. those partisan perspectives on things become pretty irrelevant when you're dealing with an issue like zoning a or a yeah. pothole or, yeah. or whatever. And so, you know, people on both sides they would tease him and oh my gosh how can you stand working with that liberal yeah. linda and he said well wait a minute now you know and so that's kind of the beauty of it and and fr frankly why i kind of prefer 
that kind of service, yeah. then, then when you have to put yourself into one of those buckets, whether or not you really agree and, with but all of it But putting people not. in buckets, I mean, getting back to the topic we started with, I mean, to me, that's the problem with identity politics is now we're putting people into buckets. Like, you're not, you're not Linda Boyd, you're a woman. You know, if I was if I was a female candidate, I wouldn't want people to vote for me because I'm a woman. Well, I hope I they'd vote for me because, because I'm yeah, I, right. And I and I, I I know I know that you didn't, but that's my problem with identity politics is it puts people in buckets. And maybe I'm a little sensitive to that because I identify as a conservative Republican who's also an atheist who would also probably legalize most drugs as well as prostitution. And uh, and and I've been a longtime supporter of gay marriage. And I, I think that, you know, for me, that's always been hard. How do you how do you group mm-hmm. me? You know, um, that's not an easy thing to do. I don't like the idea. I believe very firmly that people are individuals and you got to vote sure. for individuals and yep. not vote for identities. I, I think that to me is very, very important. Uh, I, I think we agree on that. <laughs> All right. You know, I you know. I think I think we're both kind of coming at this from different directions, but landing in a pretty close to the same place um with the way you just described yourself that's the way that as individual candidates for a nonpartisan office there's a lot more kind of self-description that goes into a race like that because people are people are electing you based on how they feel you would represent them or 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 take a your thoughtful take on the issues or, or what have you so you're really trying to help the community understand who you are. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's always the case, but without those kind of partisan boilerplates to kind of fall back on or, or, or a lens to hold up to look at somebody through, um, it really is more, okay, what kind of person is this? How would they approach the various issues? Um, it is a little more vague. So I think people grab on to other things that are uh, more obvious about them. I mean, I'm obviously a woman, um, and I think you maybe assume that I would bring uh, a different perspective just based on the life experience of being a woman. I also think that when you talk about diversity being a good thing on a um, on a governing board, I think it's healthy just not to get into that group think uh, yeah. kind of trap. Gender doesn't necessarily prevent that. Necessarily, you know, it's yeah, um, yeah. It's I mean, it's a it's an interesting topic, and I'm I'm not necessarily against diversity. As a matter of fact, I wrote today. I think a big problem with the nation's newsrooms is we don't have enough people who are right of center thinkers. Um, you know, I I struggle with that daily. I could tell you at times my welcoming at this company that I work for now has been. I get the cold shoulder sometimes because Linda, I got the wrong, I got the wrong set of political beliefs. Um, well, the, the forum was always known as a a fairly conservative paper. So, well, okay. Well, you you name the other conservative columnist that works for forum. Oh, you talk about columnists. Okay. Yeah. You're the you're well, the conservative columnist. Fair enough. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, well, we're all out of time, Linda, but I appreciate the uh, discussion and yes, appreciate the time so as always. It's great. That's Linda Boyd, former Fargo City Commission candidate. Hey, we'll wrap things up right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970, WDAYM 93.1 FM. Uh, ben, next week, President Trump visits. Yeah. Uh, and actually, uh, we got a, we got a special guest on uh, Tuesday. Laura Trump's going to be on the program. Really? Yeah, so that'll be fun. Um, I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to get President Trump on the program. <laughs> I've been, I'm, I'm shooting. I'm swinging oh for the fences, Ben. That'd be awesome. 
We'll see. We'll see if it happens. I don't know. I mean, I told him. I said, I'll pre-record it. He could call me from the limo. I don't care. Just we'll get him as long on. As we can Five, get him. Just, just give me. Yeah, we'll get him on. Get some. We'll have some questions for him. Um, so anyway, that emailer also says you're more of a libertarian than a Republican. I suppose that's true. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not like a libertarian party libertarian. I think on Facebook I describe myself as conservatively libertarian. How's that for bed sitting? That can work. Jay Thomas Show, straight ahead. You can always catch me here Monday through Friday on 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM, or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnythingBlog.com. North Dakota's most popular political blog. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.